So what's the real story? What is the real story? Ever been in a situation where you're wondering, hey, what's, what's the real story here? What's really going on? Like, like maybe, you know, the cookie jar is broken and you're asking your kids, hey, who broke the cookie jar? And, and you're getting various versions of the song, not me, not me, not me, not me, not me. Well, many years ago, there was another song released and there are a lot of stories about the, how this song came to be, how it existed and where it came from. I'm just going to give a couple of those stories. Uh, The first story was that in an interview seven months after the song was released, the singer of the song said that he had never had any ideas for writing a song, just no ideas for songs that ever popped into his head. And then suddenly one night he had this big dream, I mean a doozy of a dream. And when he woke up, he had this idea for a song. So he called his friend Otis in the middle of the night, and by morning, the story is that they had the song written. One of the other stories about the song was that Otis was actually hanging out at the music company, at one of the music companies, and one of the owners of the music companies was drinking a bottle of Pepsi. And as he was drinking his bottle of Pepsi, he did something with his bottle, and he laughed, and he said, hey, Otis, you should write a song about that. So what was he doing with his bottle of Pepsi? Well, he was shaking the bottle up. So we don't know exactly how it came about, which story is true, but somehow in some way in 1957, Otis Blackwell and Elvis Presley gave the world the song All Shook Up. And you probably have heard that song. We know how it begins, right? Oh, well, bless my soul, what's wrong with me? You know, know, what's what's wrong with me? That's how it begins. What's wrong with me? Ever had a moment like that? Ever had a moment when you're so overwhelmed with everything going on in your life? You're overwhelmed with anger or anxiety. You're overwhelmed with regret or revenge. You're, you're overwhelmed with despair or discouragement. And, and you find yourself kind of sitting there going, what, what is wrong with me? Why, why am I all shook up about whatever it is that's happening in this moment? Well, we continue our series, Doors, today, where we're looking at some of the many doors that we face in life. And today we're going to be looking at strong doors. Strong doors is the title of our message, and we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 10. Now, what Peter's going to do is he's going to help give us the ultimate thing that we need for our hearts and our minds and our souls when we find ourselves all shook up in life when we find ourselves in these moments that are overwhelming. So what is this thing he's going to give us? Well, let's find out. First Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 10, Peter says this, After you have suffered for a little while. Today marks a moment in history where our nation endured a level of, of trauma and tragedy that, that still seems to defy comprehension. And the reality is for those families who lost loved ones in the events of 9-11, their suffering has been anything but just a little while. Whether it's a national tragedy or whether it is just personal pain in our own families, every single person will face some measure of suffering in his or her lifetime. We cannot avoid suffering. And Peter is writing to a group of people that have have been experiencing a great deal of spiritual, emotional, and physical suffering. And why? Why were they suffering? They were suffering simply because they were following Jesus. They were suffering only because they were Christians. 
Now, we sit here today in the comfort of, of 2,000 years of Christian history. So the persecution that we see here in this picture is very different. These people that Peter was writing to, the word Christian had only been around for about 20 years. And so what they experienced and the levels of suffering they experienced, those things have never really been seen in our country at all. So it is somewhat difficult for us to imagine the intensity of how immensely encouraged they would have been sitting in the midst of persecution and suffering, getting this letter from Peter that says, hey, you're only going to have to suffer a little while. That would have been fantastic news to them. But here's the question, how long is a little while? See, see that's the challenge. A little while is a different measure of time. Well, what measure is it? Well, Peter kind of helps us in his second letter. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8, he said this, With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. So a little while might be a day, it might be a week, it might be a month, it might be a lifetime. And at that point, someone may say, well, why in the world would I follow a God that might allow me to suffer with something for a lifetime? Why would I have anything to do with that? Well, Peter is saying that this picture of what we have in God is an answer for suffering. But he wasn't the first person to come up with this idea. Part of the reason that, that we can look at a lifetime of suffering and still find comfort in God is the very nature of what it means to know God. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 84, verse 10, for a day, just one day in your courtyards is better than a thousand elsewhere. Rich or poor, healthy or sick, pants that fit you or pants that don't fit you, comfortable or suffering, no matter what we're facing in life, there is no greater place to be than with God. No greater place to be. Even if we have some particular suffering that lasts a lifetime, when we compare it to all the things that Jesus said about hell, the reality is even suffering for a lifetime is no comparison to suffering separated from God and hell forever. That is an infinite eternity of suffering, not just a lifetime. A little while is going to be different for every believer, but every believer, every Christian has this promise when a little while is over. And what is that promise and where does it come from? Peter tells us, verse 10, the God of all grace. After a little while of suffering, the God of all grace is going to bring his promise to his children. Now, every single one of us have at least one person we can think of right now who is always kind to us, shows us favor, shows us grace. We, we have those people in our lives. People that show us grace sometimes when we don't deserve it, and sometimes when we're not expecting it. But God doesn't just show acts of grace. God is grace. All of grace is God. I heard someone say recently that God doesn't have attributes. God is 
attributes. It's, it's his being, it's his nature, it's, it's who he is. So when we begin to think about this concept of grace, we, we aren't just like going to the Christian buffet, picking up some grace, that's one thing of God, I'll get some grace from God when we're suffering. No, the reality is part of what it means to be in Christ is that the grace of God, this defining part of who he is, is always there for you. The amazing grace of God never leaves us. That promise is always there. And we know that because we read it in the Bible. And we know that because we sing it in songs. But the reality is the grace of God, it is beyond our ability to understand. It's, it's beyond our imagination. It's the wonder of all wonders. God's grace, it, it never dries up. It's a constant stream of favor. It never fades and it never fails. The grace of God cannot fail. This world can crumble to the ground and the grace of God will still be standing as a strong tower for all eternity. Why? Because God is grace. All of grace is God. It is who he is. It is what he does. And that grace, and only the grace of God, is the grace that we would call amazing. And there's something that his amazing grace has done and is doing. Look what Peter says next, verse 10. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. The grace of God brings a dead soul to life. And, and when God brings that dead soul to life, when a person is saved by the kindness and the grace of God, God does something. He calls them into his eternal glory, meaning he gives them a dwelling place in his heaven. Eternal glory. Glory that far outweighs every other glory in the universe. It is the eternal glory of God that matters the most. Every other glory that we experience in this life is temporary. The richest investment in this world will not be transferred into a different account in heaven. The greatest vacation spot on this planet will never have an address in heaven. The highest sports trophy in this world will never cross over the threshold of heaven. We have to be careful not to completely define our life by the trophies of this world, the investments of this world, the vacations of this world, because everything in this world will pass away. It is all temporary. My life, your life, all of the things we experience, they are all, well, they are all temporary only what is done with and for Jesus Christ is lasting. It's full and fully and ultimately eternal. The things connected to Jesus are eternal and God calls us into his eternal glory, this, this glory of all glories. And like the grace of God, the glory of God cannot fade and it cannot fail. And Peter very specifically says that we're called into this glory through something. Well, what are we called into? It says we are called in 
Christ. There is no greater state of being than being in Christ. Let me repeat that. There is no greater state of being than being in Christ. I don't know what happened at your house last night. We had a, had a pretty good lightning storm at our house last night. I mean, I could see it all lightening up outside the window. And, and, and what happens when we're in the middle of a huge lightning storm? Do we want to be in the front yard during a lightning storm or do we want to be in the house? Do we want to be on the side of the road next to our car or do we want to be in our car? Well, we want to be in the house. We want to be in the car, right? And why? Well, there's just something that makes us feel safer, that we've got something over us and around us instead of just standing out in the air in the middle of a storm. Listen, to be in Christ does not just make you feel safe. To be in Christ is the ultimate definition of safety and security. There is no greater place to be, no greater place of safety, no greater place of security than being in Christ, being with Christ. You will find no other safer place. About a year after Jesus was crucified and buried and resurrected, there was a man named Stephen, and Stephen very boldly and very openly talked about Jesus, and it got him in trouble. In fact, the type of trouble he got into was that he was sentenced to death, and the way he was sentenced to death was that people picked up rocks and hurled them at him. They stoned him to death. And in the middle of that, in the middle of rocks being hurled at him and, and him feeling those rocks upon his body and his head, knowing that the next rock might be the rock that ultimately takes his life. In the middle of all of that, Stephen cried out. And what did he cry out? This is what Acts records. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Why did he say that? He said that because Stephen understood that the God of all grace had called him into the eternal glory of Jesus Christ and he knew without a doubt that the greatest existence for his soul was to be with Christ. He knew that the one thing that mattered more than anything else in the world was to be with Christ. And although we don't always believe it, and truthfully is we don't always feel it, there is one lasting truth that can impact every single moment of my life and your life. And that truth is this. We can and we will overcome any suffering in life if we are in Christ. Let me repeat that. We can and we will overcome any suffering in life if we are in Christ. The eternal glory of God is, is not a fairy tale. And the God of all grace, he extends the, the benefits of his eternal glory into your house and into the hospital and into the funeral home and into that tough project at work or into that difficult week at school, into that impossible feeling marriage or that rebellious child or anything else that we experience in life. In any moment and every moment, the eternal grace of God and the eternal glory of God are always being infused into the life of a believer. 
And what do those benefits look like? Peter tells us, verse 10, the God of all grace will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God's not a subcontractor. He he doesn't contract things out. He, He does the work himself. And one of the things he does is he perfects. Well, what does it mean to perfect? Well, the word in the Greek language here, it carries the meaning of resetting a broken bone or, or mending a net, like a fish net that's been ripped apart. And so the picture here is that after a little while of suffering, God himself will heal, he will mend, he will restore a believer in such a way that whatever was broken will be repaired and not just repaired, but it will be improved. It will be better than before. Someone has said that that if we can receive suffering in life with humility and trust and love toward God, then we actually receive something that we didn't have before the suffering. And what do we receive? Well, this is what they said. They said we receive greatness. Greatness. Not like, oh, I suffered, so I'm a great person now. I'm a much greater person than I was before. No, that's not the picture. The picture is that through our suffering, we catch a glimpse again of the greatness of God. What we find in our suffering is a clearer picture of the greatness of God. I think I've shared before that, that every time I get sick, I'm, I always just take that as a moment of, all right, you know, God, I'm always going 150 miles an hour, so you've shut me down. And, and one of the things I need to do is I need, I need to do some heart surgery. You know, what sin is in my, what, what's the sin in my life? I'm shut down. You have my attention. What sin do we need to deal with? Sickness is a great opportunity to tap into the greatness of God, to, to see again who God is and what he's calling us to. Being perfected by God in the, in the midst of our suffering means that, as we sang earlier, we understand holy, holy, holy. Being perfected by God when we are in the midst of our suffering means that we understand not to ever look for any king or any queen or any prince or any princess or any president or any pastor or anyone else in our life to be holy, holy, holy. We understand that only God is holy, holy, holy. You may have heard this quote this week that's been shared several times in the death of Queen Elizabeth, but Christmas 2002, in her Christmas message, she said this, each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view to give of my best in all that the day brings and to put my trust in God. In other words, for her, the long view was with God. The long view was putting her trust in God. The long view is the greatness of God. Listen, suffering will never be fun. It it will never be fun. There's, There's not a moment where we go, oh, I'm so glad I'm suffering. But like every other moment in life, suffering lines up that everything in life is an opportunity for us to see the greatness of God. And what God says is that, dear Christian, in a little while, he himself, the God of all grace, will perfect you. 
will restore you. What else will he do? Verse 10, he will confirm you. You ever lost your balance? Yeah, it's no fun, right? As we get older, um, this becomes a little more of a problem. You know, we, we lose our balance a little more, which is why we're super thankful for the people that invented canes and walkers and wheelchairs and self-driving cars and, and applewood smoked bacon. I mean, if we're going to be on the ground, we need a snack, right? I mean, so you might, might as well enjoy that too. You know, there's, there's lots of things that have been invented that we can be thankful for. But losing our, our balance is, is something that's no fun, and, and that's part of what happens with suffering. We, we lose our spiritual balance. We get off kilter a little bit, and, and when we're suffering, we feel helpless, especially if we're, we're suffering with something that, that nobody can cure or, or fix, or if we're suffering at the hands of what somebody else is doing to us that, that we can't change. Suffering makes us feel helpless. Sometimes suffering makes us feel devastated. I mean, just absolutely devastated. But God says that in those moments, he will intervene and he will give you an attitude that will help you feel in the deepest part of your soul that he is holding up your heart when your heart feels like it's losing its balance. Ever had that moment? Has your heart ever felt like it was losing its balance? That you just, you can't pull the pieces together, not, not really sure how to feel or respond or, or what to do? Well, the promise that Peter is giving some deeply suffering Christians that is there for us to, as well is that in a little while the God of all grace will confirm you he will hold up your heart what else will he do verse 10 he will strengthen you suffering always always makes us weaker right but God in his grace and his kindness he makes us stronger in the suffering it's it's a strength that we wouldn't find without it now, this isn't like a worldly strength because worldly strength is, all right, tough it up. I can, I can take it now. Come on, bring on the next thing. That, that's not the kind of strength we're talking about. We're talking about being stronger in God, that our strength is actually built up in the greatness of God. We begin to see and pay attention and enjoy and acknowledge the greatness of God more and more and more in our lives. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very ready help in trouble. I love how the NASB translates that, a very ready help. God, God's ready. He, he's just ready. We're not always ready, right? I mean, sometimes it's time for us to, to go to the family, get together, and someone in the family is not ready to get in the car, right? I mean, we, we all have moments where we're not ready. God's always ready, very ready, to be a help in time of trouble, to be a help in time of suffering. We don't like to admit it. We struggle to admit it. But in the deepest parts of our hearts, we know the following things are true. We know that we are not our refuge. I am not a refuge. You are not a refuge. We, we really know that. And when we really look at the reality of life, we, we know that our spouses are not 
our refuge. We know our kids are not our refuge. We know our parents are not our refuge. We know our houses and our cars and our finances and our church and our country. We know these things are not our refuge. Because they're bad? No. Because they don't have the ability to perfectly be very ready all the time to help. They just don't have the ability. And not just to help being very ready all the time, they don't have the ability to help forever. There is an infinite greatness to the help of God. There is an ultimate greatness to the help of God. Our God and only our God is always ready at every moment to help. We can't always do that, right? I mean, I've shared with you before that that for many of us, in a moment where someone needs us, we may not be able to meet that need. It happens to me every day. Every day, someone needs the pastor. Every day, someone needs me to help, and I can't. You know why? Because I'm already helping someone, and I can't stop this help to be 30 miles away at another help. But, But my day feels like that. My day feels like that there's always someone 30 miles away from me that needs me at the same moment that I'm helping someone else. But I can't be there, and neither can you. But God can. God is always very ready for every single moment that we will ever have a need. It's who he is. It is his character. So dear Christian, the God of all grace, in a little while, he will strengthen you. He will perfect you. He will confirm you. And one other thing he'll do, verse 10, he will establish you. This is a little bit like confirming you, but, but it has more of an architectural feel to it. It's not just that, that God is holding up your heart when it feels like it's losing its balance. But more than that, God is building a spiritual fortress underneath you. He, he, is, he is building up his might and his strength underneath you. Suffering, this is what suffering does to us. It always knocks us off our game, right? It, it always causes us to feel like we're in quicksand, you know, that we, we can't get ahead. We, we, we can't fix anything in the moment and, and nothing feels like it's gonna be right in three days or three weeks or three months. It's, it's this quicksand feeling. And God in his kindness He knows that in those moments, he's going to establish us. Either physically or mentally or spiritually or emotionally, he's going to build us up and help us know that we are not on our own. Edward was a cabinet maker. One day he was walking to work and and some words were popping into his mind. And he was like, huh, kind of like our... Our, our story about Elvis Presley, he was like, I don't know anything about writing a song. I never had any ideas about a song, but he said, that day, I don't know, some of those words sound like a song. So he got out a piece of paper when he got to work and he wrote some of those words down that were swimming around in his head and sucked that piece of paper in his pocket. Sometime after that, he, he went to see a friend of his and, and his friend's wife was dying. And as he was visiting with them, he said, I wrote some things down that, I don't know, they might encourage you. And he pulled out that piece of paper and he, he read those words to his friend's wife and it did encourage her. And these were some of the words that he read to her that day. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All of it. All the other ground is temporary. All the other ground is, is sinking it won't always be there. 
dear Christian, the God of all grace, after a little while, he will establish you. He will make you mentally, spiritually, emotionally, or physically feel that you have the weight of heaven holding you up. He is a strong fortress. Now, why should we believe any of that? Why should we believe in any of that's true? Well, Peter tells us, verse 11, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So be it. The God of all grace is holy, holy, holy. The God of all grace was and is and is to come. The God of all grace, his grace, his dominion, his power, his authority is forever and ever and ever and ever. He is attributes. He doesn't have attributes. See, when we go looking for people to, to hire, to appoint, or to vote for, we're looking for people that have some attributes, some, some things in their life. But none of those people have any perfect attributes. But see, God doesn't just have attributes. He is attributes, and his attributes are perfect. And his dominion is forever and ever and ever. That's why, because his kingdom will have no end, that's why we believe all of these things that Peter says and why we can trust these things when we're suffering. It's because of who God is and what God has done in and through Jesus Christ. Vanitha Reisner suffers from what's known as post-polio syndrome. It means that she had polio when she was very young. If I remember her story right, it was misdiagnosed and she didn't know it. And later in life, post-polio syndrome means that you got it when you were young. Maybe you were a little bit sick, but you didn't really have a lot of symptoms. But 30 or 40 years later, all the symptoms show up. So she is experiencing a disease that basically is deteriorating her muscles. Eight years ago, she was writing how one day she suddenly couldn't take her plate to the table. Like she could do it, you know, just a month before that, but, but all of a sudden, one day, she, she can't take her plate to the table. And she said she sat down in the kitchen, there was no one else at home, and she just screamed out loud to God. And this is what she screamed out. God, how can you do this to me? Don't you love me? I've been faithful. Doesn't that count for something? Why don't you fix this? And then she said she spiraled her from there into a deep world of self-pity. Everything was wrong. Everything was terrible. Nothing could go right. But she said after a very short amount of time, she, she caught herself. And she said, wait a minute. All of those things that I'm thinking, those are the lies of the devil. And she reached for whatever was close. It was an envelope, and she pulled it over on the side, got a pen, and she started writing down some things that she needed to start doing when those moments of suffering came, and she started believing those lies. And one of the things that she wrote down was this. Set your mind on heaven. Set your mind on heaven. This is what she said. The world is not my home, and it is passing away. It will be over in the blink of an eye. And then real life will begin. God has eternity to make up for any suffering in this life. 
In heaven there will be no more tears or death or crying or pain. That day as she scribbled on that envelope, her little while showed up. It was, it was slow, but it, but it was sure. Her little while showed up and, and she started to experience the God of all grace. She started to experience his truth that had called her into his eternal glory. She began to experience that reality of being perfected and confirmed and strengthened and established. She began to remember that no matter what she was suffering then or no matter what she would suffer, that she had a permanent dwelling place with the glory of God and nothing could change that. Nothing could change that. In just a moment, we're gonna sing about that. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from the hand of God. In the middle of her suffering, in the middle of her moment, she began to remember of the dominion of God, that it was forever and ever and forever, and that she was part of his dominion. She was part of his kingdom. And then God, in his kindness and his grace, reminded her of the words of that old cabinet maker. And she wrote those down too. All other ground is sinking sand, but not Christ. And Christ, he's my solid rock. When post-polio syndrome begins to deteriorate my body, Christ is my solid when things begin to fall apart at home, Christ is my solid rock. When things are overwhelming at work, Christ is my solid rock. When, when things begin to, to disintegrate in my relationships with other people, Christ is my solid rock. And all other ground is sinking sand, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. When I'm all shook up, Jesus is my rock, and he will see me home. All other ground is sinking sand, but not Jesus. So over and over and over again, let us put our hope and our confidence and our trust in the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. 